0: hi everybody it's lovely to be here 31 years ago I flew into Durban after being in YWAM for seven years and the only friend I had in the city was Sheena McDonald I didn't know anybody else and um, she brought me to Glenridge and Oh, my word. I was so gobsmacked. And people were waving flags and ribbons and hands up. And Mally Duplessis with his red leather jacket telling us to worship or else. And um, George with his koi on. It was like I couldn't even close my eyes. I was just watching the scene. Anyway, yeah, that was 31 years ago, and Glenridge has been a very important part of my life. Um, Chris Venant was leading at the time, and uh, he was quite a radical guy. (laughs) He had very high standards, and you had to be at every meeting. Even if you just had a baby that morning, (laughs) prayer is at 6 (laughs) o'clock. He was radical, and... um, Anyway, after being in in Glenridge a couple of years, I was making my bed one morning, and God put something on my heart, and he told me to go back to YWAM, Scotland, to join up with a team there to set up a preschool. And um, so that is what I did. I went back to Scotland for another four years, and I was part of a team there, and we set up A preschool, also called We Friends, but it was W-E-E Friends. Uh, We, yeah, yeah, little friends. Um, And we worked in a working class area, and I really didn't have um, much experience with teaching. I had studied through UNISA when I came back after the seven-year stint, so... I had um, a degree and I had a qualification, but no experience. And the team that I worked with, there were five of us. It was quite radical. I mean, we became very good friends. And I learned through that experience how important relationship is among the team that you're teaching with, and also started to understand how God has a heart for young children and a passion for young children. And we saw how he impacted young children in the preschool. Their moms and dads were impacted and the community started getting impacted and some of those families came into the church. So it was a very significant time for me. And then God made it very clear I was to come back to South Africa. And so that I did. And of course, Glenridge was my home church and I got a job as the church secretary at Glen Ridge. And after a few months, Chris phoned me and he said, wouldn't you like to just make some inquiries about starting up a preschool and do some costing and all that? Because I wasn't very keen when someone suggested it to me. And as I started phoning around and researching, just suddenly this desire ignited in my heart, and the elders took me on full-time, paid me a salary, and they said, you need to pray in the accommodation, we will support you, and this will be a ministry of We Friends, uh, of Glenridge Church. So 29 years ago, 5th of October, I set up We Friends with eight children. Most of them belonged to the elders and the leaders... (laughs) And uh, Shalana and Luke, Chris even took his two daughters out of Joyce Broadhead and it was like the last term of school and the principal said, do you understand what you are doing? And he said, yes. And honestly, it was so affirming for me that he would take his kids out of a top school and he put them in at We Friends. Anyway, um, I ran We Friends for six years and um, during the course of that time I went to leadership training time in Debron and it was there that some seeds were planted in my heart that made me very uncomfortable. Robin Bridget Forbes came to the conference and started talking to me about children they were working with they were in outer mongolia and they spoke about the need there and how they would love to get a kindergarten set up and i just had this terrible feeling that god was looking at me you know (laughs) putting his hand on my life and i spoke to nola McKellar about and i just said i can't do this you know this is just i really don't want to pursue this. And she said to me, but just think about their little faces. (laughs) Anyway, uh, went back to We Friends and just pushed that aside. And after running We Friends for about five, five and a half years, I started getting very restless and spoke to Doug McDonald and Nick Hardy. And I said, I feel like God's calling me out to the nations. I don't know where, but I feel like my time here is up. And Nick said, you don't just suddenly leave the country. You buy a house or you do something like that to bring a change. And it was actually quite a mission trying to talk this through with them. (laughs) Anyway, um, Rory Dyer phoned me one afternoon. By that time, he'd taken over the leadership And I said to him, Rory, I really want to go. I need a furlough. I want to go overseas for six months. Will you release me? And in that phone call, he said to me, you need to hand We Friends over and you need to go to the nation. So it's like a punch in the gut. And I I really cried that afternoon because, you know, We Friends was my baby. And... um, It was really within a few months that I handed We Friends over, packed my case, and headed off to the nations, but I didn't know where I was going, okay? So, Glenridge prayed over me, gave me a very big check. I couldn't believe their generosity, and I thought, well, the one place I do know is London. I'll go there. I've got a friend there. I can stay with her. And um, in the meantime, a friend of mine had gone to live in Hong Kong. And I need to share a very significant prophetic word that Chris V. Nunn spoke over me at an all-leaders meeting one night. He's, he was prophesying over different people, and then he said, Sandy Love, you keep coming up in my spirit, and God is going to lead you to Southeast Asia, and you are going to go in... <coughs> and you're gonna pioneer preschools. And it it just pierced my heart. And of course, I didn't know what Southeast Asia was. I went out, I bought a map book, and I started seeing, and I saw it was 10 different countries, you know. Um, So that was very exciting for me, that God had this for me. Um, I never even considered Southeast Asia, but While I had been in YWAM, that is where my heart for the nations was developed. The need to go and evangelize and tell people about Jesus. And um, I also came to understand God's heart for children when I was in Scotland. I started teaching Sunday school there with the YWAM kids. There were eight of these kids in the group. And as I started teaching them about the character of God... I felt such a deep joy, and I thought, yes, this is it. And then God showed me. He's calling me to education and to disciple young children and to go out to the nations. And um, Lois de Fleurio, you've maybe heard of him. He was the elder who walked alongside me when I was running We Friends. And one day, he at a prayer meeting, he prophesied over me, and he said... Your mind has not conceived what God has for you. And he is going to take you beyond the boundaries of South Africa. And that was a very powerful prophetic word as well. So anyway, um, while I was in the UK, I got a job in Ireland looking after an old man. And one Sunday morning, I was looking through the newspapers and I saw flights to Hong Kong. And uh, decided I would get a one... a return ticket to Hong Kong and see if God opened doors for me. And I had one friend in Hong Kong, and that was Shirley Jenkins. For those of you who remember her, it was a very big step for me. I was oh, I was quite nervous to go to the Far East on my own. And um, anyway, flew to Hong Kong, and there was my friend Shirley waiting at the airport for me. And um, I slept on her living room floor for six weeks. But it was just so comforting to be with somebody I knew and who could explain the city to me, the small island of six million people. It was very radical. And I was going through major culture shock. And after a couple of months, I was hoping... That a job would not open up for me because I just I was just wanting to get on a plane and go back to England where people speak the language and something that was familiar. Yo, I was wrestling with it. And anyway, one morning I was praying, and God just brought John and Christine Drevers faces, and I felt I must go and visit them. They were South Africans living in Hong Kong, and I went to see him. And he said, no, these are the schools you must contact, and contact this school. And one thing led to another. And within about a month of first seeing him, I was offered a job at the Australian International School in Hong Kong. And um, it was incredible how God opened that up for me. I was very inexperienced as a teacher. It was It was like I said to my friend, it's like I'm putting on this pair of shoes that is just too big for me. I I didn't even know how to fill out the register. But anyway, God really helped me through that time. And it was during those three years in Hong Kong, I got an invitation from a, a Christian organization in Outer Mongolia called Alpha Ministries. They were looking for an expert in early childhood to come and assess a kindergarten there that the Swedish government had been sponsoring. And some friends of mine that I was in YWAM with were living in outer Mongolia, and they gave them my name. (laughs) And when I opened my email and I saw this heading, kindergarten in Mongolia, I actually spilt my drink into the keyboard, and I thought, no, this can't be happening Anyway, it was, um, I decided to do it. I was teaching then, so I took my holiday, and I booked a ticket for 10 days, and I went to Outer Mongolia. Yo, I tell you, that place is next level. It's very different. I mean, they live life to the beat of a different drum, and it's, it was exhilarating, but it was also very scary. Rob and Bridget Forbes were at the airport to meet me, and two days later they put me on a train. They sent somebody from their church with me to go up to Eerdonet, where this kindergarten was. It's like God put people beside me all along the way, you know, as I was going and went up to internet and visited the kindergarten and was able to do a report on it and I was able to train the teachers through a translator. All the kids' equipment was locked up in cupboards. They they wouldn't allow the kids to use the equipment. So, I mean, their model of education was very influenced by the Russian system because Mongolia had been under Russian influence and leadership, and so their way of teaching was very much formal. The children are there, the teachers elevated, and play is not part of the way of teaching. Do you have sure.
1: a question? Yeah, I, so my first memory of Sandy was Rory Dyer bragging about us, and we, when he meant us, he just was talking, I think it was at Fontaine and... Uh, he was just bragging about the fact that we have sent, you know, our best to Outer <laughs> Mongolia. And, um, and, and, he, and it was, uh, you know, and, and it was like a holy bragging, right? Because it was true. But um, this idea that a single lady could be sent into, and in my mind, Outer Mongolia at that stage could have been you know, whatever, it, you know, whatever you can imagine, it could have been. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is when you first heard about Rob and Bridget, how long was it before you actually ended up at, in that airport and they were welcoming you there?
0: Well, they came to Durban for a church planters course and they put their daughter Claire into We Friends and I remember them telling me they had a heart for Mongolia, and I was bowled away. Um, I can't actually remember how many years, but it was a few years later, maybe two or three years after that, we linked up in Debron. And then a year later, I left for Asia and we met up at the Singapore leadership training time and we started talking. Um, but that first trip, to Mongolia for that 10 days. I you know I had a wonderful time it was it was amazing but I prayed to God as I looked out of the window and just saw bleakness and concrete and dust and I just said please don't send me here. Please. <laughs> and when I flew back to Hong Kong I wanted to kiss the ground when I got there because by that time, I had fallen in love with Hong Kong, and I loved living there. But I really and then a few weeks after that, Robin Bridget wrote to me, and they invited me to come up. Well, I can tell you now, I wrestled with God for a year over that, calling, um, and I knew it was of Him, and I knew that they wanted a kindergarten, and I needed to go but It was very hard making that decision, and um, God gave me Shirley Jenkins. She was a very committed friend, and every time I would bring it up and just say, I really don't want to go, and I was feeling angry about it, and she would just encourage me, and she prayed for me, and it was just a process of working it through, and then I decided I would go. And the time came and I left for Outer Mongolia, not knowing how long I would go for. Um, And it was very, very, very challenging. But the one thing I want to say to you is if you feel God is putting a country on your heart, you don't know what that city holds until you go in obedience and then the city opens up to you. You just, you don't know, because all I saw was the bleakness and the poverty, um, and I hated what I saw, and I just didn't think I was a very good fit for the place. Uh, And when I first got there, I just thought, why has God sent me here? Is he punishing me? And I, then I knew, you know, God's character is not like that. We have to be secure in the character of God and who he is. And I knew he loved me deeply, but he had a purpose for me to be there. And um, yoh, it, was, it was challenging. But God gave me the grace to live there. And I did a week survival course of learning the language. Um, and when you need to go somewhere in Mongolia, you don't wait for a taxi. You just go out onto the road and you put your hand out, and any car will stop for you. And then you tell them where they want to go, and they they put the odometer so they can work out how much tugruk it's going to be. So I had to memorize where the kindergarten was. So it sounds like this: Gorov Durov. Hurrah, harasha, third and fourth district, please. And then I also had to memorize um Bidhi Hordan Yavare. Please don't drive so fast. <laughs> I was like a nervous wreck because they are like cowboys there. They they just created new lanes or they would go onto the pavement. And you know, I'm quite a highly strung person. That's why I also thought, I don't know why God has sent me here. I hate the cold, and I do get a bit anxious about things, but I had to memorize certain phrases that would help me survive. But they would drop me off at the top of the road, the tar road, and then you had to walk down this dusty pathway. And there... In the Gehr district was our beautiful little kindergarten called Ghuslen Tsetzerlig, Dream School. And it was four gears, two gears together and two gears together. And the community was extremely poor. I had visited the homes with some of the staff. Um, and those kids had no toys, very little food. We're talking about authentic poverty. Some of the children had rickets because they didn't have the vitamins. Um, And just what stands out to me was the exhilaration of that first morning when I got dropped off and I walked down that dusty road to the kindergarten and it was so quiet and I opened the door and there were these little faces, these big eyes and they were sitting there like mice. They were terrified. They'd never been to a school before and they'd never seen a foreigner before. Uh, One little guy started crying (laughs) and um, that was just the beginning of an incredible adventure. Um, I had to work through a translator and she would translate to the teachers and I would model the value of play. And the school in Hong Kong that had employed me sent up two of their teachers with suitcases full of equipment for us. I got money gifts. And the school ran on donations. We had to trust God for $3,000 U.S. a month, which is a lot of money. We had to salary the teacher. We had a doctor. We had a cook. We had a guard. But... I didn't get a salary, it was uh, NGO and it was voluntary work, but my church in Hong Kong did help me, and um, so I trained the teachers full on for that first year, and then I knew I had to get a job, and God opened up this amazing job at the International School of Ulaanbaatar. And um, I started teaching there and that is when my life became a little less intense and a little bit easier because now I was mixing with foreigners who spoke English and my life seemed to normalize a little bit because Rob and Bridget are very radical people. I don't know if you've ever met them. They were not interested in foreigners over there. They wanted to be in with the Mongolians. Their heart was just for the Mongolian people, even where they lived. There was not a foreigner in sight. It was just hectic, so I didn't see much of them, but I have to say um, I would not have survived a week without Robin Bridget. I mean, when I was just at the end of my tether and I'd Rob and he would just calm me down and he'd say, this is why this is happening and this is why that's happening. And he just had a way of calming me down. And um, they are incredible people because they went out to Mongolia with two small kids and they started a church in their living room with one Mongolian person. And they were there 12 years. And um, after a few years, Rob was preaching in Mongolia and he had about 200 local people in the church. Um, So, yeah, they were a very big support for me in Mongolia.
1: Um, Sandy, I was going to ask, what were the highlights while you were in that school? Were you able to share Jesus freely with the kids, or
0: how was your...? Well, yeah, being in international school, I had kids from all over the world coming to that school. And um, you have to be careful when you're in a secular school. So I just found a way to tell them about Jesus at Christmas time and Easter time and one-on-one, you know. And some of the families were believers who were there. They were missionaries. Um, Some of them were with embassies and NGOs. It was a very interesting mix of people that I got to know. And I tell you, that's when I also discovered the treasure that the Mongolian people are. They love to dance and party. And we would have these evenings where we would just dance and celebrate. and um, A whole new world opened up for me there. And more amazing than anything, when I've looked in my journals, I just really wanted to have my own home. And I ended up buying an apartment in Mongolia that belonged to the NGO. And it became my refuge. It was just the most wonderful place to come to at the end of a day. Um, So God led me to doing that. I didn't know how long I was going to live there for. And I think God in his wisdom didn't show me. You know, sometimes it's just too hard for (laughs) you to bear. Five years is a long time. But... Anyway, after about four years, I started getting that similar feeling like it's, you know, time. My season here is up, and um, yeah, after five years, I moved on, handed the preschool over, and um, my country of choice was Singapore, because I thought, ah! I need an easy place to live, I want to speak English, and I just couldn't wait to get to Singapore. Um, Didn't have a job to go to, I had some friends there, but I posted my stuff, and I just took a step of faith, and I went, and on arrival, a job opened up for me, which was quite incredible. But Singapore turned out to be a very difficult place to live. It was very hard, just being a teacher there. So... You just don't know how the city is gonna unfold to you. And then I really do just wanna share how um, I want, went to my next place, because it was very unusual. I, After three years of being in Singapore, I visited Mongolia to go and train the teachers again. And I lay on my bed, spread eagled, and I said this, which I won't say too often, I said, Lord, where do you want me to go now? (laughs) And he just said Burma. And I thought, what? And just this image conjured up in my mind of these pagodas and mists. I knew nothing about Burma. So when I got back to Singapore, I spoke to my friend Jenny Murphy. I I thought, I'm not going to tell her. So I just started asking questions about Burma because she had visited there. And she suspected, and she said, I'll go with you. So we planned a five-day trip to Burma, and I was totally, totally captivated by that beautiful, beautiful land. It was authentic Asia. The West had not come in yet. There was no SIM cards, no mobile phones. All the cars were these old 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 cars people were friendly it was incredible and we traveled around a bit so i was very captivated by it anyway went back to singapore and um i was trying to work out how to get into burma i I knew i couldn't just go i needed a job and it was this process of prayer talking it through with the leaders and then I made a decision to go in again on my own over my Christmas holiday for five days, go and stay in a hotel and pray. And I did that, and it wasn't quite as charming this time around. It was January, the skies were gray, and I was in this little three-star hotel, and when I looked out the window, I mean, I just thought, I can't do this. What am I coming to, you know? Anyway, I had arranged to meet up with a British woman there who had set up a school and she took me to the school and we had a very similar vision and after returning to Singapore I got an email from her offering me a job there and I thought this is the opening. So my time in Singapore was five years and off I went to Burma and um, the honeymoon lasted one week. Yeah, it wasn't long. I I lived in a hotel for about seven weeks, and when when I say hotel, it was a tiny little hotel with a tiny little room, because finding an apartment there was very, very challenging. Um, Anyway, I found a wonderful church there, and the home group that I went to became a really big support for me, and the church was a support for me, and... um, really grew to love Burma, but I really struggled with my health there. I think with the country being so closed, uh, if you get food poisoning there, it's not like getting it here. It lasts for days, and it's hectic, intense. And the medical care is a little challenging there. They did have an SOS clinic, but that was quite expensive. So going into Burma was very challenging, but it became one of the richest experiences that I've had. I just loved Burma, but I have to say it was also very challenging. And um, I've lived in five different countries, Hong Kong, Mongolia, Singapore, Burma, and China. And the pattern for my life has been five-year stints at most places. China was two years. And I know this might surprise you, but one of the easiest transitions for me was Shanghai in China. My friend Jenny Murphy offered to go up with me, and she helped carry my luggage up. And uh, it was an incredibly wonderful experience, but I also got quite burnt out there because I was working in a private Chinese bilingual school and their ethos is very different to ours. They would sometimes say, well, you've got to work Saturday, you've got to work Sunday. It was just like, what? Anyway, it was Sandy, an amazing, enriching experience. Is that
1: why when you came back and joined Taryn at Seedlings, you kept saying, we need to work Saturdays and Sundays? <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. So there are a couple of things that seem to have come up in your story a few times. Uh, the first would just be there's always a person or people. There's mm-hmm. a community that you're part of mm-hmm. and there's a commissioning. There's mm-hmm. something of a prophetic recognition and God does and speaks through a few things. So I want you to percolate around that. The second thing is there, there, there's always somebody on the other side. Either to welcome you or that you need to influence. Mm. So there's that type of theme. The third is you generally ask not to go, and God says, go anyway. Okay? (laughs) Um, So, what's the role of your heart being transformed despite, you know, not necessarily having that inkling? And just how do you overcome Mm. the, the challenge or how do you overcome the reticence?
0: Well, I mean, when we surrender our hearts to the Lord, um, we are allowing him to be Lord of our life. And the one word he spoke to me more than once was consecration. Consecrate yourself. Surrender. Um, and it really became a walk of not what I want, but what you want. Um, and so it was dying to self and obeying God, what I felt he was calling me to and where he was leading me to. However, saying that, there were so, so many incredible blessings packed into every experience. Um, and Burma, it was very difficult. And the lady who had offered me the job, I was there with her one year, and we did I don't know why but we clashed she didn't like me (laughs) I don't know why I think it was this direct South African manner and she was this very reserved British lady and she came to me one day and she said I'm not renewing your contract for next year and I had just made a decision to support her and help her with her vision and to try harder And I called my pastor and his wife for coffee. I said, please, you have to pray for me because I knew God had called me to Burma, but she was cutting my contract. And a friend in Singapore said to me, there's a Chinese word for crisis that means dangerous opportunity. Trust God that he's going to turn this around into an opportunity. And yoh, it was very hard to take, hey? um, I decided one afternoon, I sat on my bed and I looked up. There aren't many schools in Burma, in Yangon, but there was one fairly prestigious school attached to the U.S. Embassy and I sent my CV in and I said, is there any chance you have an opening for me <laughs> for next year? And I wrote to a couple of other schools. Steve Placzynski was running ISY, International School of Yangon, and he wrote back to me, he said, we don't have any openings, but why don't you come in for a chat? So I thought, well, it might lead to something. So I went and had a chat with him one afternoon, and while I was talking to him in his office, he said, you're not going to believe this. But yesterday, we had a very unexpected resignation. For a grade two position, would you like it? And I was early childhood trained and hadn't taught that age. He said, oh, come on, of course you can do it. And um, I just couldn't believe how God had... Intentionally closed that other door and then opened this door at this international school. It was like next level. He sent me home with a driver, I mean, back to network school. And um, the next four years were the happiest teaching years of my life working at that school. And of course, I got to teach children of the leadership, you know, the military junta who were leading the country at the time. I got to rub shoulders with daughters and grandchildren. So God opened up a door of influence for me there that was very unexpected. My salary skyrocketed, all these blessings, and it was just like how amazing. God closed Carol's heart. She just would not relent, and I had to let it go, and then he had this in store for me.
1: Beautiful. It's a, it's a journey of faith. Yeah. That's the theme. Obedience, despite yeah. the crisis, because there's opportunity. Sandy, what would your message be, your charge to all here who have the potential mm. to answer the call of God in going? Mm.
0: I would say keep your lifestyle simple if you think this is something you might want to do following God to the nations. Don't have any debt. Keep your life simple and keep listening to what God is saying. Spend time with him and prioritize what his voice is speaking to you and obviously spending time in a church community where the prophetic word is is strong. Um, and be ready to go be ready to go just be willing to obey and be ready to to go you know with one suitcase it's very hard getting rid of stuff there are ways to do it you normally start 6 months before you go so you just you develop the strength to let go of those beautiful plates or whatever you know you just you've got to learn to let go of things and give it to god and and go to the nations, and I can honestly say my life has been so incredibly rich. Mm. Um, I do want to write a book sometime, I'm still trying to figure out, because I have so many God stories of um, God coming through for me. What's that?
1: Raymond is saying you have to write it. All all in favor of her writing the book, say aye. aye. OK, it's official. Yeah. So so you know, it occurs to me that possibly the fruitfulness of your life, you may not even know the extent. Yeah. Uh, you may not even know how far-reaching, deep, transformative, uh, it might have been a word that you said, it might have been a gesture, it might have been handing something to someone else. And uh, I wonder if Matt and Josh, as a, t- as a r- uh, representation, and any others that were maybe at we friends, could come in and honor Sandy and come and just almost just bless what God has done and is doing, and in so doing, we receive, a, you know, the, the prophet's blessing. Does that make sense? Come up, lads.
2: Hello, Sandy. You don't know me, I don't think, and I've never met you. But I'm I'm Josh, and I was at We Friends when Cindy Pilly was was head So I think, yeah, in the early 2000s. Um, and yeah, I've grown up in this church, and uh, like Matt and I, we've been discussing it for a while now. That just hard to go, and you know, you sort of ask yourself where did that come from. And I thought, oh, maybe it was from Chris and Rory. But I realized that even though you weren't there anymore, that heart, that even not just to go, but just the father's heart was instilled in every child that went to, went to Glenridge. And Matt and I have come a long way since We Friends. Um, we, <laughs> I, I've told this before, but, but at We Friends, we, there was a Hindu boy with us, and we took him aside and rebuked him and said, If you don't <laughs> repent of your sins, you're going to hell. So, you know, God did a lot of work through that. Um, but thank you for encouraging us and just, like you said, and I, I keep hearing this, every time you say, Jesus, I'll never go there, that's where he sends. So I'm very nervous to say anything because I know you will probably send me there. But um, I, I think what you said tonight and hearing your story, it's so beautiful to put a face to a name. And I'll look back on this, for The rest of my life, and, and Matt and I, I think we're both, and be like, hey, remember when Sandy shared her story? And um, if, if my life can be half as radical as yours, that would be amazing. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, Sandy, I was, I was sitting there because, um, yeah, I was just thinking, what is, what is Weave? What was, I don't know, I mean, Further understanding that we friends was actually just a blip in your greater greater journey, um, yes, which is so inspirational, but trying to think what we friends has sort of given me, you know I'm um, looking back and it's it's been it's been friendship it's been it's been relationship it's been i mean I think we often reminisce about that the shame that poor little Hindu boy <laughs> story but other, other, much more sort of pleasant memories, and yes, just laughing and having the time of our lives. Just such a life, you know, and um, yeah, and I just, just thank you for sort of creating that, you know, starting that, saying yes. Um, I think has been the greatest inspiration from hearing your, oh, just wow, and um, yeah, again, like if you know, if we can live half as radically as you have, um, yeah really 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 is amazing i just want to honor you
0: thank you it's very very touching to hear both of you speak like that thank you so much means a lot to me yeah Uh,
3: thank you
4: um how's it i'm joelle for those of you who don't know me um i was just asked to quickly share a little bit about what free we friends meant for me and the impact it made. And honestly, it was probably one of the best, some of the best years of my life, um, from what I remember. It led me to so many friendships, and that honestly impacted my life so much. Some of those friends that I'm still with to this day. Um, it gave me such a strong friendship and relationship with God and with those people in my life, and encouraged me to branch out, to make friends, to make those connections in my everyday life. And um, you know, it was just so special to me. I got to reach out to one of my friends over Instagram because she moved like to Cape Town. And to be able to look back to those days and to remember um, what our teachers taught us and the experiences we got to share. And I think it was so awesome because you, like, we friends created that community for us and it helped us wherever we went to create that community of our own. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for that. Thank you. Um, hi, I'm
5: Natalie. You don't know who I am either. <laughs> but I am actually, well, I actually did my teaching practicals at WeFriends because I also came from WeFriends as well. And firstly, it gave me a lot of respect for teachers. <laughs> I came home, I think my dad picked me up and I slept a very long time after that but i think one of the like most important highlights that like showed up for me um at we friends was i think also just how just the sense of community like not not only with the children but also the relationship the teachers have with the kids so whether the kids were having a fight they would sit them down and say Something also WeFriends teaches you is that when someone says sorry, you always say I forgive you. (laughs) And it's still something that's implemented um, and was also implemented in our house. (laughs) But I think it was just the sense of community. And um, after doing my practicals at WeFriends, I came home and I said, this is what I want to do for the next 50 years. And um, I think also when you were talking about how, like, when you say, no, I don't want to do it, all the doors open and everything. At the, I think at my grade 11 year, I decided, no, I'm going to do occupational therapy. And I got a whole bunch of words from people saying, no, we can just see you with kids and teaching. And I was like, I'm never going to do that in my, in my entire life. And then my mom had always said to me, no, you're going to do teaching. And of course, I'm never going to listen to my mom about that. But... <laughs> Um, I got quite a radical word from someone saying I was doing teaching. I was like, oh, whatever, let me apply. And I applied to four or three, three or four different universities, got in, I got a job. And I think, yeah, just when you said doors open and if it's your calling, it will happen. But yeah, that's amazing. But yeah.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing.
2: Sandy, can we just pray for you, actually? Yeah, just no <laughs> I was <laughs> But Lord, we, we thank you for the incredible story of Sani Love and the impact that it's had on all of us tonight, and we, we just we honor her, Lord Jesus, for her obedience to you, time and time again. like uh, there's your. And thank you for the lives that were changed by her obedience, Lord Jesus. And Lord God, we, we, we do, we bless her and we honor her. And we say, Lord Jesus, you're not done with her yet. And I, I don't know what that means, but that's what I, I felt. And I, I, I know you said don't commission, but, but whether that's writing a book, I, 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 I don't, I didn't feel specifics, but just like, like, God's not done with you yet, you know. And, and even in just sharing your story tonight, he's, he's using an incredible story. And um, so we do, Lord God, we just pray continued blessing over her into this next season and whatever it looks like, Lord Jesus. Give her a new faith and new excitement for you and your gospel and your children, Lord God. We bless her. And we say, Lord Jesus, may may what she said tonight may imprint something on our hearts Amen. to want to run harder and and faster after you, Lord Jesus.